Let's try that. This will be grandchild number two. Um, I, I find it very ironic that the night in which she is probably giving birth, I am talking about this particular topic. So uh, hold on and, and let's see if we can't get through it together. I, I don't think it's a surprise to anybody in this room that our culture has gone woke. And what I mean by that is, basically, you are not supposed to offend anybody. You're not supposed to judge anybody. In fact, what they really want you to do is to go along with anything they put before you. And as a result, many religious bodies, many preachers have decided, okay, we, we can't offend anybody. So here's going to be our message. Just believe in Jesus, love God, and love others. Now, let me make sure you understand, that is a good thing, but what happens when our children, our grandchildren, they only spend two to three hours a week in a Bible class at a place like this? The rest of the time, they are on the job. They are in school where they're being absolutely inundated with topics like LGBT, transgenderism, immodesty, racism, climate change, or the one we're going to deal with tonight, abortion. What happens if the only religious message they hear over and over and over is, well, just, just believe in Jesus, love God, and love others? I'll tell you what happens. Instead of actually delivering the truth to our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, what ends up happening is people start sharing emotion. Because after all, that's all they have to draw on. And so ultimately, they're drawing from the, the emotion of media, the emotion of, of friends. Let me give you a, an example. Transgenderism is absolutely exploded on the scene in the last two years. If a child only hears, just believe in Jesus, love God, love others, are they really equipped when that topic comes up to give a Christian response? The answer is no. And so what ends up happening is they respond with emotion. What we've got to do, church, is we've got to get back to making sure this is the foundation for everything. Most definitely for the topic that we're going to discuss this evening, but we need to make sure in this chaotic world that we got a solid foundation. Because ultimately, if the Bible really is a revelation from God, and it is, then it's got to be the authority for everything. Whether it be transgenderism, whether it be abortion, or whether it be how we conduct ourselves in a place like this. It has to be the foundation. When my wife and I, we, we've only built one house. We are still living in it, Lord willing. 
I will be carried out of it feet first. I do not like to move. I call it my forever home, and unless God wants me somewhere else, that's going to be the last house we build. But I remember very vividly when the builder of our home, the day he poured the footers, he was actually there. He showed up on site. He was a Christian guy by the name of Mike Sullivan. I asked him, I said, what's going on? He said, ah, today's a big day, Brad. He said, today we're pouring the footers for your foundation. Now, I knew about as much about building a house as I do tropical plants in Antarctica. Okay, not a whole lot. I looked at him, I said, why is it such a big deal? He said, well, if we get this wrong, the whole foundation for your house is going to be messed up. He said, here's the scary part. You may not know that for five or six years. He said, we've got to get this right. That's why I'm here. What I want you to start thinking about is this. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 is like the footers of a foundation. If you don't believe the opening chapters of the Bible, then think about where that really puts your foundation for just a moment. If you view it basically as a myth, if you say, well, then maybe it didn't really happen, then ultimately you're compromising the rest of it. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, you know, I don't think there really was an Adam. I don't really think that there was a flood, a global flood. How do we use Genesis 1 through 11 to deal with topics like transgenderism, racism, or abortion? You see, folks, if we don't have a solid foundation and understand the opening chapters of the book, then basically it's like having a roof of a house with no walls and no floor. Let me show you what I mean by that. So let's say that you're a Christian and you think abortion is wrong. You've got a co-worker, a friend, or an extended family member who you know is about to terminate a pregnancy. And so you go to that person and then you say, hey, uh, you know, abortion is wrong. And immediately the fangs come out. And they look at you and they say, but it's my body, my choice. After all, it's just, just dead tissue. And what about cases of rape or, or incest? Why are you being so judgmental and mean? And all of a sudden, that Christian who does not have a solid foundation suddenly remembers the 11th commandment. You guys know what the 11th commandment is? Thou shalt be nice. And the 11th commandment in our culture today overrides everything else. And so here's what that person does. They hear you're being mean and judgmental and suddenly they start to apologize and they say, I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to offend you. Because after all, the message they've been hearing is love Jesus, love God, love others. But what happens if you do have a solid foundation? 
What, what if you have a really good understanding of Genesis chapters 1 through 11? Let's, let's revisit that conversation for just a moment. So the person says this, it's my body, my choice. And well, it's just dead tissue. And, and after all, are you going to tell me that you think it's, a, it's not acceptable in cases of rape or incest? And you're being mean and judgmental. To which somebody with a solid foundation looks at him and says, you know, in Genesis chapters 1, 1, verses 26 and 27, we're actually told that God created man in his image. In fact, we're the pinnacle of his creation. And never one time did he give man the authority to kill his creation. And you said it's your body, your choice. But actually, when you really stop and look at how God designed this whole amazing thing, it's half of the chromosomes from the dad, half of the chromosomes from the mom, they come together and they form a totally genetically different individual. It's not your body. Uh oh, and by the way, you said it's just tissue? Well, why not just leave it alone for nine months? Well, we, we can't do that because you know in nine months what's going to happen. You mentioned incest, rape, which is ironic to me because here's what that really tells me. That tells me that you are looking at things through the lens of a Judeo-Christian worldview. And it's interesting to me that God's the one that actually put a stop to those kind of relationships. You read about it in Leviticus chapter 18. By the way, have you ever stopped to think about the fact that if there is no God, why would rape be wrong? Because after all, you're just getting your DNA in as many people as you possibly can. Lastly, you mentioned I was being judgmental, as if that was a bad thing. It's interesting to me that oftentimes people will quote the Bible passage about not judging, and they fail to realize that God created mankind with the ability to know right from wrong. We see that in Genesis chapter 2. And they fail to realize that there's all kinds of verses that talk about judging righteously. And oh, by the way, you are going to be judged one day by Jesus. And if you make this mistake with your life, it will follow you into eternity. You see the difference? Two totally different approaches. One person who is apologizing for being a Christian, while the other person who has a firm foundation, who realizes, you know what? There really was a guy named Adam. There really was a creation account. There really was a pinnacle of God's creation is able to handle the, the situation. I don't think it is news to anybody in this room that the abortion debate has changed pretty dramatically in our lifetime. You know, where once it was something that was considered shameful, you know, somebody might disappear for a few months, the family wouldn't talk about it. Today, they're shouting it out. It's actually being bragged about in our culture today. 
Now I want you to let that really sink in for just a moment. Our children are growing up in a time in which people are bragging about killing children. That's where we are. Not just that, they don't want to just legalize it, they want it to be glamorized and embraced. What should we know? Several years ago, there was a, an article that appeared in the Journal of Ethics in Medicine. And it was a, a, a scientific journal where they were looking at various opinion pieces. In this one, they had an article titled, After Birth Abortion, Why Should the Baby Live? Now, I want you to read what the authors were suggesting our culture should start doing. Notice, they say, abortion is largely accepted even for reasons that do not have anything to do with the fetus's health. By showing that, number one, both fetuses and newborns do not have the same moral status as actual persons. Number two, the fact that both are potential persons is morally irrelevant. And three, that adoption is not always in the best interest of actual people. The authors argue that what we call afterbirth abortion, that is, killing a newborn should be permissible in all the cases where abortion is, including cases where the newborn is not disabled. They even go on in this particular article to say, you know, merely being a human, it's not a reason for ascribing somebody a right to life. Now, hopefully that's a little shocking to most people in this room. But it shouldn't be that shocking, because think about it for just a moment. For how many decades now have we been telling young people, hey, you just evolved. You're just the product of evolution. You're just another branch on the evolutionary tree of life. And we've stopped teaching them that they're actually special, that they were created in the image and likeness of Almighty God. In that same journal article, they say this, they say actual people's well-being could be threatened by the new, even if healthy child requiring energy, money, and care, which the family might be in short supply of. So according to these brilliant academicians, you don't have enough money? Kill it. Don't have enough energy? Kill it. Now not to make light of it at all, my wife and I are now grandparents. The amount of energy that we have today versus 15, 20 years ago has dramatically decreased. I, I, I was telling Phil, man, you hit 50 and that check engine light comes on sometimes. But the thought of just killing a child because you don't have enough energy you see, folks, I, I fear that our culture has lost a healthy fear of the Lord. And the Bible says very plainly, that is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed what? Innocent blood. Let me ask you as I look at you tonight, what is more innocent than the blood of a newborn child? 
You say, ah, that'll never happen. You know, we're we're never going to kill children after they're born. Well, please understand, when a culture starts looking at them as a parasitic burden on society, rather than a reward from God, then we're just one step closer to that. Real quickly, let's talk a little bit about the history of abortion. Most of you in this room probably do not recognize the lady in that picture. Her name is Norma McCorvey, better known as Roe of Roe v. Wade. Had the opportunity to interview her and she shared with me, she said, Brad, I was pregnant. She said, I remember somebody coming up to me on a college campus saying, don't you wish you had options? She said, I really didn't care. But she said, that person told me they were getting together tonight, they were going to have free beer and free pizza. She said, I wanted the beer and I wanted the pizza, so I showed up. Drank the beer, ate the pizza. She said, before the night was over, they had me sign a document. Basically, they were telling me that that document would give me options for my child. I signed it, didn't think anything about it. She said, I literally did not even know the case had been picked up until it was announced on television. She said, I did not realize that I was the one behind the whole thing. She said, I never had an abortion. She delivered her child. She spent basically the rest of her life trying to undo what she had signed her name to. June 24th of last year, that finally took place. And, you know, sometimes as Christians, we get kicked around so much and and beat up on that we kind of walk around like beat dogs. Well, this was one of those occasions I hope you went out and celebrated. Because, folks, this was a big deal. This was one for the home team. Because what it did was it said, we're no longer going to allow the federal government to make a blanket statement about abortion to every citizen in this United States. What we're going to do is we're going to return it back to the states. And so now abortion may be legal in one state and may be illegal in another one. In fact, I'm going to leave this up for just a moment. This is the current map of where states are according to policy. You'll notice the ones that are the darker red, abortion is illegal. The ones that are blue, dark blue, you can basically abort a child all the way up to and including the due date. In fact, some of you may have caught the news just last week, Maine passed a bill that would make it legal to kill a child on the day that that child is due. Now again, as I stand before you with my daughter-in-law going through contractions, the thought of that absolutely undoes me. To think that that life, that, that healthy, last time we checked, about eight and a half pound, told us big enough to put on the wall like a bass. That's a big fish. But to think that you could kill it 
in the state of Maine? That's unconscionable. The problem is our culture is no longer turning to God for our laws. What we're doing is we're turning to men. And let me make sure you understand, when we lose sight of the fact that this should be the foundation for everything, we no longer have a true north on our moral compass. What do I mean by that? Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. God is immutable. His laws, His way of looking at things doesn't change. And yet us, humans, oh man, we're... Today, you got people who are selling transgender bathing suits for minors. Had I told you that 20 years ago, hey, uh, there's going to come time where you're not going to be sure if you really want to go in that bathroom. You'd look at me like I was crazy. And yet today we, we're having conversations about choosing pronouns. God doesn't change. His word does not change. Let me show you what I mean by consistency. Many of you remember Several years ago, the night that one of the Batman movie came out, there was a shooting in a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado. My wife and I, we have a couple of friends that live in Golden, Colorado. Aurora's just literally right around the corner. Their boys had gone to see the movie, and we were very, very concerned that they were in that theater that night. Twelve people shot forever changed the way that I think about going into a movie theater. Because here's a guy, he walks in and just starts mowing down people he doesn't even know. And for a week, here's what happened. Our culture talked about this shooter, these deaths, and the horrific crime behind it all the while. Now that was, again, 12 people killed, right? All the while, 2.28 miles down the road from that movie theater is a women's clinic. A women's clinic in Colorado that is killing more children per day than died in that movie theater. In fact, there was a, a doctor who had to give an affidavit about what they were doing in that particular theater. Listen to what he said. He said they were grinding buckets full of 15 to 22-week-old gestation babies through a hand-cranked, old-fashioned meat grinder until they took the consistency of multiple tubes of pink toothpaste able to be flushed down the sink drains. Twelve people die in a movie theater. Our culture goes crazy. Fifteen to twenty die a day in this fashion. And most people don't even blink. I mean, think about it. Somebody pregnant, walking down the sidewalk. She gets hit by a car. In almost every state of the union, they can charge the driver of that for two homicides. That same girl walking down the same sidewalk, the same car veers off, but right before it hits her, she walks into an abortion clinic. Two go in, one come out, and yet there's no crime. 
That's the inconsistency you get when God is not true north on your moral compass. If you got your Bible, let me encourage you to take them out. Because here's what we're going to do. In the short amount of time that we have remaining, we're going to simply answer the question, according to God's word, when does life begin? Because if I know that, then I don't have to worry about emotion or, or feelings. or I, I can simply go with my foundation. So, for instance, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 49 verse 1 said this, The Lord has called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. Verse 5 of that same chapter goes on to say, Now the Lord says, Who formed me from the womb to be his servant. Notice this. God not only recognized Isaiah before he was born, he called him by name. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. The text says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. Or how about Psalm chapter 139, where the psalmist said this, you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. Did you catch all that? I praise you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You're the one who covered me in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. Or, or how about Exodus chapter 21? Old Testament passage where they're talking about what happens to somebody if they kill or injure a pregnant woman. Listen carefully. If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according, accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him. But, or it says, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Let me explain exactly what's going on so nobody leaves here with any doubt. You got a pregnant lady. God gets in a fight with her. Something happens to either the woman or the child, if the child is delivered prematurely and is fine, then all the guy has to pay is whatever her husband deems proper. But if either the woman or the child die, then notice what the payment is. Life for life. Flip over to Job chapter 3. Job chapter 3, let me just kind of set the stage for you. Remember Job has, basically he's lost his wealth, he's lost his, all of his flocks, his children. Thankfully he's got that really supportive wife. 
Some of you know what I'm talking about. Job chapter 2, verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. You got to love a supportive wife. Job chapter 3, here's what's happening. He is lamenting his birth. He's basically saying, I wish I'd never even been born. He said, if I'd never been born, in fact, pick up and look with me, starting in verse 11. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breast that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest. With the kings and the counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves, or the princes who had, who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. So look at what he's doing here. He's saying, man, why, why couldn't I have just died and been like these kings, the, these counselors, these princes that have died before me? But you'll notice in the very next verse he mentions a child who experienced a hidden, untimely birth, or your version may say, or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child? A miscarriage. I suspect in this room, there are at least a handful of ladies in this room who have suffered the pain and the agony of a miscarriage. And here Job is, and he is comparing that miscarried child to kings, princes, counselors? Why would he do that? Because folks, that miscarried child is just as valuable as those kings, those princes, those counselors. In fact, let me show you another passage out of the same book, book, book of Job, verse, or chapter 39, starting in verse 13. Of all things, it's actually talking about an ostrich. But hopefully you'll understand while I'm bringing this to your attention. Look at what he says. For she leaves her eggs on the ground and warms them in the dust. She forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may break them. She treats her young harshly as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without concern. Because God has deprived her of wisdom, neither hath he imparted to her understanding. Folks, listen to me. In too many cases, we are treating human beings worse than that. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21 says, You shall not give any of your children to devote them by fire to Moloch. And so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. It's ironic here that they had a God where the way they pleased that God was to offer up their babies and put them quite literally into the, the fires of Moloch. And yet, in America today, we tear ours apart. Folks, I don't think it is by accident at all that the Bible records over 40 times that moment that we call conception. Number one, 
because God himself is the only one that could come up with such an amazing design to bring the mother's genes, the father's genes together. But number two, think about all the different times in which the Bible speaks about that moment. Look, look in the New Testament. Jesus in the womb. John in the womb. Does it refer to him as dead tissue? No, it says the baby leapt in her womb. Back in 1981, there was actually a Senate Judiciary Committee where some of the world's leading scientists were put on the stand. They, they wanted to know, okay, when does life really begin? I'm going to give you two quotes. The first is from a guy by the name of Dr. McCarthy Demere. He said this, the exact moment of the beginning of personhood and the, of the human body is at the moment of conception. Dr. Jerome Lejeune, he is the, the father of modern genetics, he put it this way, he said, to accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion, it's plain experimental evidence. If I were to ask you this evening, what's the real cost of abortion? What, what was the cost of Roe versus Wade. Well, let me start with one thing that some of you don't even think about, and that is we've lost quite literally an entire generation of people. You know, when you look at the actual numbers on the screens beside me, you'll notice there is a chart that is recording the casualties of war. Each one of those crosses represents 50,000 casualties. So any of you in this room that are history buffs, you know, the American Civil War, we lost all kinds, the most we've ever lost in a war until you think about the war on the unborn. At which point you realize those crosses go quite literally off the page. To the tune of 4,500 every 24 hours. From January 22nd, 1973 until June 24, 2022. Now I'm gonna give you a little sneak peek of my age. I was born within about two and a half to three years on one side of that, that first date right there. I'm not gonna tell you what side. Here's what that means. My basically entire life, every single 24 hours, 4,500 unborn children were being killed. On the screen beside me, I've got the, the Vietnam Memorial, and I use that as kind of a visualization because I, I suspect in this room, many of you have been there, you, you've seen that, that long black memorial Vietnam War cost us 58,000 of our very best young men and women. And if you're in this room and you served in that war, let me first thank you. We lost 58,000 in 11 years. You can go to Washington, D.C., you can run your finger down every single one of those names. And yet, in any given 11 days in this country, we were killing a whole lot more children than that. 
I mean, think about it for just a minute. You kill a bald eagle in this country, you're going to jail. In fact, if you kill the egg of a bald eagle in this country, in most states it's jail time, in all states there's a financial penalty. And yet, a human? Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 25 says this, Cursed be he that taketh the reward to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say amen. Please understand, abortion is most definitely a financial industry. If I had unlimited time, I would walk you through the fact that this is nothing but blood money. It is a money-making industry in poor sections of town. Writing the lengthy opinion in the infamous Roe versus Wade case, Chief Justice Harry Blackman, he said this, we need not resolve the question of when life begins. Well, friends, as faithful Christians, we must. And because God looks at life to begin before birth, then that's the way I have to look at life. If the creator of me says, no, 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 I recognize life in the womb, then I've got to do the same. You guys have got to start killing that bell before I get up here. I appreciate very, very much your attention. My understanding is, I think the exact words were, the thundering herd are going to be coming in right now. So we will pause and get ready for a short devotional. Thank you.